Well, we still got lots of folks coming in looking for seats. And so um, if you just motion that they can sit beside you, that'd be the wonderful thing to do. Welcome to Northern Community Church, the place for those people who don't believe in organized religion. <laughs> we're, we're about as disorganized as you can get here. So uh, we are glad to have you here, especially if this is your first time. Uh, before you pass those black registration pads, uh, I have an announcement, and uh, um, then I have another, and then I have another. Um, this is the time of year when we start switching uh, uh, staffs uh, in the uh, uh, Sunday school. And you'll notice on the third page of your newspaper that there are some openings for Sunday school teaching. Now, some of you love kids, and you've been saying, Lord, how can I serve you? How can I, how can I get more connected? And this is your time. This is, you, you already know. If you know that you'd like to at least find out more about one of those slots, uh, put SS down by your name when the pad comes by. And they'll call you up and, and, and ask you about uh, what, you know, what your schedule is and what, what's available and so on and so forth. Uh, I do not know of a more effective ministry. If you want to make an eternal difference in this world, if you want to, if you want to do something that you have never have a doubt as to whether or not it's significant, Sunday school teaching is it. There are more people who follow Christ consistently, I believe, because of good Sunday school teachers than good preachers, because they are the ones that show the love of Christ. And so I just want to and, and if you need to go, well, i, I got to go and pray about that, go ahead. And then you call the number down at the end of that article, okay? Now, pass those black registration pads, if you will. And I got an exciting announcement. I am so stoked. Do you know how on Christmas Eve, well, of course you do if you've been here any time at all, how we have a quabillion services and we still have to turn people away. And traffic's horrible, and you know, and the worship term team by the eleven o'clock service, they all look like dog meat. I mean, they look worse than dog meat. You know, it's just not not a pretty sight to look to. Um, and 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 we're always saying, wouldn't it be wonderful just one time if we could all worship together? Well, listen to this: through the good graces of uh, and, and the influences of the office of Mayor Glenda Hood. This Christmas Eve, Northland Community Church is going to rent the Orlando Arena for Christmas Eve services. Is that just cooler than the other side of the pillow or what? I mean, can you picture this? Vernon's going to sing a song and you're going to hear this voice. going to rent this little guy goes, Vernon Rainwater! <laughs> Vernon and Tim actually want to use that little blimp that flies around to drop gospel tracks, you know, <laughs> stocking stuffers. And, but no, we're going to have a distinguished service, but it's, it's just going to be so great. And I had somebody come up the, after the last service and they said, oh, I'm so excited about the arena. Can we, I just got one question. Can we invite friends? Yeah, that's the idea. We're finally going to have enough room. So I am so excited about this. We'll tell you more about that later. Second announcement. You've been praying about this land. Oh, there's something happening here. And I can't tell you because, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a real estate deal that you never talk about the deal until it's down on the paper. So they're saying, can't say anything to it down on the paper. But something's coming here. Thank you for your prayers. And it's something wonderful. Now, 
Don't let up. Let's all not let up on the reduction of the debt, killing this debt, because there's, there's something wonderful coming. There's something wonderful coming after that. I want to tell you, God has done a wonderful job uh, uh, with our generosity this, this year. We have reduced the principal, the principal on the debt. I'm not even talking about the interest. The principal on the debt, $471,000. Now, that's really cool for all the rest of the stuff we've been trying to do. But don't, yeah, all right. Thanks, God. <laughs> but don't, if you it just, you know, keep, let's keep at it. Let's keep at it. Because to whom much is given, much is required. Okay? Vernon, let's worship. All right. <laughs> if we could just get Joel a little bit excited about something, we'd be okay around here. Well, in the greatest sermon ever preached on holiness, There's a point at which Christ turns from his deepening the meaning of the law for us that is noted in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew to deepening our understanding of religious practices, which is noted in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Of course, one of the most important And one of the most determinative religious practices we have is the privilege of prayer, of having access to the throne of God. And so I'm going to spend the next four weeks talking about prayer. The weeks after this, I'll talk specifically about the Lord's Prayer, about the model prayer that He gave us to pray. But first, Christ sets a certain uh, context for prayer, a certain assurance about prayer, that is noted in the 7th and 8th verse of the 6th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition, as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. There is an age-old scientific principle, the principle of inquiry that many of the scientists use called Occam's Razor. Occam is named after Philip of Occam, uh, lived in the 1300s. And basically the principle is this, that when you have more than one explanation for a wonder before you, When there are two or three or more, you always choose the most concise, the least complex, the simplest. That will very probably be the most accurate. I would say to you this morning that that same principle, that scientific principle, also applies to prayer. Watch this. Dear Lord God, our Father, who lives in heaven and 
pours out his love upon us mortals as we struggle to find our way down the paths of righteousness. Let your light shine upon the highways in my heart as I travel through the darkness in search of the truth. Lord, thank you for this food that I'm about to partake of. I thank you for the man and woman who grew up, had the child, who grew up, got married, and had the child, who grew up, got married, and decided to become a farmer, Lord. I thank you for the land that he toiled on. I thank you for the wheat that he planted and harvested. I thank you for the woman who stood by his side while he planted and harvested, cooking his meals, burying his children, and wiping the sweat from his brow. I thank you for the factory that processed the wheat that made the bread. I thank you for the factory workers as they, they molded and, and shaped the loaf, watching it rise and take shape. Lord, I thank you for the men who kept the machines running that sliced the bread, the loaf, and saw to it that it was put into the bags. Master on high, I especially want to thank you for William P. Tiggle, the man who invented the twist tie, <laughs> for sealing the plastic bags that hold the loaf. It truly is a wonder bread. Father on high who sees and knows all, every freckle, every blemish, every wart. Thank you for Fred Robertson who drives the truck that delivers the bread, the loaf. As it moves through the busy streets making its way to the store, bless Fred's wife. As she watches her husband drive away every morning come rain or shine, for she knows he has a job to do. Lord. Bless the mechanic who services the truck that Fred drives. Keep his mind sharp and his wrenches clean. Watch over Fred as he backs the truck into the parking lot of the 7-Eleven. Keep the lot clear of glass, nails, sharp instruments, and small children. Lord, I thank you for Baba Ali. who immigrated here from his home far across the ocean. I thank you for the management team at the 7-Eleven who saw fit, who saw fit to hire Baba Ali as the manager. Lord, thank you for his watchful eye as he looks at the expiration date on all the loaves. Father of all things, big and small, hot and cold, I thank you for the cow that grazed on the grass to fill his belly. I thank you for the farmer who had the sun, who rises every morning at four o'clock to milk the cow, keep his eyes open, his hands warm, and his grip firm. Let him shoot straight and aim low. Lord, thank you for Louis Pasteur, who enables me to drink the milk that I'm about to partake of. Bless T.G. Lee, who distributes the milk every week without fail. Father of the universe, planets known and unknown, I know how much my voice pleases you, and it, it pleases me to hear my voice pleasing you. 
Lord, thank you for the blessings you will bestow on me because of my pleasing voice. Once again, thank you for this food. Let it fulfill me. Let it give me the energy I need to watch the game today. <laughs> amen and amen. But Jesus knew something very important about us. And that is that even the best motivation we have and the most right thing that we can do, if it goes on too long, it can become as empty as that milk glass. Because we have a tendency to get caught up in our own stuff. We have a tendency to begin to entertain ourselves with our own eloquence. And so Jesus was probably the first one to say, keep it short and simple. It's not that you can never have a long prayer. There are a couple of long prayers recorded in the Bible, but there is a correlation between the length of prayer and the loss of interest, especially on the part of the prayer and anyone who may be listening. Now, let's just recognize for a moment uh, exactly what he said. He said, when you pray... Avoid vain repetition. The, the, the Greek is babbling. Don't babble. Because that's what the Gentiles do. They just think that the more they talk, the more they say, the more obligated God is to answer. If you want an example of that, a biblical example, turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. And you will see one of my favorite passages in all the Bible Here's Elijah, kind of, the, kind of the lone ranger for the Lord. And he's standing out there, and he's facing 450 prophets of Baal. Now, Baal is a, a, a pagan god, a fertility god. And, and Elijah's standing out there saying, you know what, let's have a little contest here. You guys make a sacrifice and call down your god to consume the sacrifice and and I'll make a little sacrifice and call down a, my God to consume the sacrifice. So, so the story, which uh, really begins maybe a 22nd uh, uh, verse of the 18th chapter of 1 Kings, um, um, and the challenge comes in the 24th verse, but really it says, then they, there's 450 prophets of Baal. You can imagine how many words that they would emit per minute. It says, Then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. Four hours, 450 prophets, talking all the time. Compute that number of words, if you will. Saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And they leaped about the altar, which they made. Now, the, the Hebrew is literally limped, and it means they started performing a ceremonial dance. You've seen these. They started performing a ceremonial dance in order to attract the God's attention. Now, it came about, in verse 27, that Elijah started kind of gigging them here. And, and he said... 
Well, you know what? You better call out with a louder voice because uh, he is a God and either he's occupied or he's gone aside or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. Why don't you try a little bit louder? And so it says in the next verse, and it came about, uh, and so they cried with a loud voice and they cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out on them. And it came about that when midday was past, that they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice and no one answered. So these people have spent from early in the morning 450 prophets talking all the time, doing everything they can to attract their God's attention until, until nighttime. And then Elijah says, okay, my turn. And he said... He, he gathered the stones, gathered 12 stones, put some wood there, put a burnt offering on top. And they said, tell you what, boys, why don't you pour water on this thing? It looks a little dry. Now, you understand that you consume a fire, a, a, an offering by fire. It says, dig a moat around this if you want to and pour water on this if you would, please. And so they did it. They poured water on it. He says, hmm, still looks a little dry. Try it again. Poured water on it again. Third time, poured water on it again. And then Elijah simply said this. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. I want you to remember that, that phrase, at thy word, because we're going to talk about being prompted to pray at thy word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that thou art God and that thou hast turned their back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering in the wood. You see, when you're praying to the right God in the right spirit, it doesn't take much, does it? it doesn't take much. Doesn't take this long flowery thing, doesn't take all these actions, all of these arrangements. You know, the most compelling prayers in the Bible were short prayers. You remember the Pharisee and the publican, don't you? Pharisee standing on the hill and he's saying, Oh God, I thank thee that I am not like other men. And that I've done this and that I've done that. Look what I've done, look what I've done. And he, he spots this poor sinner down the hill, this publican. He says, Oh, I thank thee that I'm not like him. And he goes on with his self-righteous prayer. And down the hill, this little guy who's so aware of his sin and so ashamed he can't even look up at God, can't even lift his head. And he just prays simply, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, Which one of those prayers do you think worked? The answer is obvious. It was just somebody with a heartfelt, sincere, one-sentence prayer. That was all God needed. What about the prayer of the thief on the cross? For our understanding, he had absolutely no understanding of how to pray. No words to use. No formulas to plug in. He just looked over and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What did Jesus say to him? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. It was just a simple prayer. 
Many people don't pray because they're not good at it. I want to tell you, you of all people are in the best position to pray because you're well aware of your inadequacy. And therefore, you're wholly dependent upon the grace of God. And that's the only basis of effective prayer. It's so important for all of us who are used to praying, and especially those of us who are pretty good with words, to watch out for the human temptation to think that our eloquence is the basis for answered prayer. Or our persistence all during humankind. The records of all religions have had a consistent um, um, uh, pouring out of prayer. Regulated prayers. Formulaic prayers. When I was in Turkey a couple of weeks ago, the, the country's uh, 98% Muslim. And so five times a day you'd hear that call to prayer. And whereas to an East or for, to a Westerner, it sounds like it's, like it's a, like a spontaneous thing. It's very, very formulaic. And you say the same prayers and you get in the same positions every day on the same prayer carpet. So every day and you get up and you do this, you do the stick every day. And you know exactly what to do. That's one of the strengths. I know how to pray because I know the words. The same thing is true in the, in the, in the Hebrew. You're called to prayer. Several times a day in the, in the, in the Jewish religion. The same thing, same, same thing is true as far as a, as a mantra in many of the Eastern religions. How many of you have heard Hare Krishnas do their incantations over and over and over again? The same thing is true in uh, the Tibetan Buddhist prayer wheel. Uh, 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 the same thing is true. Most of my family is Catholic. How many of you were brought up Catholic and when you did something wrong... How many Hail Marys did you have to say? You know, Hail Mary, whatever, and so on and so forth. See, it was the same, same words all the time. Now, now please, don't get, please don't hear me saying something I'm not saying. There are Catholics who are Christians, just like there are Baptists who are Christians and Methodists who are Christians. There really are Baptists who are Christians. There are, <laughs> and Presbyterians who are Christians, and independent, uh, disorganized religion who are Christians. What I'm saying, though, is that it's not the number of words. It's not the formula. It's not the denomination. It's not anything outside that makes you a Christian. It is the simple, sincere relationship you have with Jesus Christ. And that comes with a simple word. Lord, come into my heart and let me follow you all the days of my life. There's nothing complicated about that. God doesn't require anything other than that. And that's what Jesus was saying. When you pray, Avoid that, that vain repetition. You know, that same vain repetition can come out of any evangelical preacher's mouth. How many of you have sat through prayers so long by some evangelical preacher who thought he was a great prayer and he's got you in some sort of stupor, you're biting your lip, you're trying to, you're trying to you know, cause yourself some pain so that you don't just fall out of your seat sleeping. What is that? That's vain repetition. The same as any mantra, the same as any prayer wheel, the same as any Hail Mary. That's vain repetition. What God loves is communication. And you can't talk too long until there's a transition from communication to monologue. And there is this transition from monologue to soliloquy. 
It doesn't matter who's listening anymore. I'm delivering this thing. You know? Did you ever think of why we do that thing? Why, why we tend just to go on and on? Some think it's so that we can be more intimate. I've been taught differently. In my first church, it's a small congregation, about 100 people. And I still remember when Beck and I went there, and it was just, this, I mean, it was so cute. I mean, it was just cute. And, we, of course, we knew everybody. And, and this one dad and his three sons kept coming to church. But the mom would never come. And I thought for a while that he was a widower until I asked around town. Of course, everybody knew everybody. It's a small town. And I said, no, she's a, she just kind of stays in the house most of the time. And, and, uh, and uh, we don't know why she doesn't come to church. Well, I just, that, that's reason enough for a pastoral call. So I just marched up and onto the porch and knocked on the door, and she opened the door. And, and, uh, and I said, I'm Reverend Hunter from down the street. Oh, come on in. Well, from the time I crossed that threshold, for an hour and a half, that woman never shut up. I mean, talk, 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 and I kept waiting. You know, usually if somebody takes a, takes a breath, you can get in there. I kept waiting for her to take a breath. She never took a breath. I didn't know how the woman was getting enough air to talk. She must have been breathing through her ears or something. She never took a breath. I've never heard so many words in my life. And I'm sitting there thinking, this woman has to be the loneliest person on the face of the earth. How hungry she must be for a relationship. I don't understand why she hasn't been to church. Well, finally, I had other appointments, and so I just kind of got up, and she's still talking, and I'm backing out the door, you know. She's still talking, and finally, I said, well, please come to church. We'll see you in church. And, so, and, so, and then I just go on. Later on that day, I met with an older, much wiser pastor. As a matter of fact, I think he was a pastoral counselor. I can't remember. But I told him my, of my experience, and I said, I, I, I had a conversation with the loneliest woman I've ever seen today. She was so desperate for intimacy, it wasn't even funny. He looked at me, and he just grinned. He said, you don't get it, do you? I said, what do you mean? He said, you are so wrong. I said, what do you mean? He said, Hunter, don't you understand that as long as someone is talking, they're controlling the conversation. As long as someone has the floor, that lets them have total control over where that conversation goes, and it doesn't let anybody else into their life. You've got to be quiet before somebody can get into your life. You've got to be quiet before somebody can ask you personal questions and learn what you may not want to show them. That woman wasn't going for intimacy. That woman was avoiding intimacy. Wow. Do you understand that when we keep explaining things to God, we keep talk, talking and talking and talking to God, we're not going for intimacy. We're avoiding intimacy. We're keeping control. We're saying, oh God, I know these prayers that are good enough and, and, and if, you just, if you just respond to them, then you'll know what to do. And so there's this point at which we try on God what we're good at with people. We're good at manipulating people with words. We're good at building arguments with words. And we think it's going to work on God. But here's what Jesus said. Not only should you keep it simple and sincere, 
But you ought to never presume that God is not aware of the situation. Because that's the other assumption. We think because God hasn't responded someplace in the world yet, He doesn't have the answer or He's not aware of it. We get this little anthropomorphic idea, well, God's a very busy person, got a lot to take care of, probably hasn't noticed this. So I'll bring it to his attention. God, let me, let me just, I, I can't help but notice you haven't cured this thing yet. And so let me tell you about it. And so we tell him about it. And then, and then let me just tell you what you ought to do here. And, and we don't, we stop praying areas of concern and we start praying answers. Now that's a very dangerous thing. Because here's what we've got to, we've got to realize this. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, it says this very clearly. God's talking here. He says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so therefore, what, on what basis do we think we can pray answers to God? Well, the good news is that we can't out-argue God. We can't bring Him up to speed on something. We can't teach Him something He doesn't know. We can't, we can't uh, uh, come up with a better answer. Can't you just, just see us praying to God and God going up, oh, I never thought of it that way, you know? <laughs> what kind of God would that be? No, that would be a weak God, wouldn't it? So the good news is we don't have to come up with the answers. We just have to come up with the general areas <laughs> because God has condescended to use us. God wants us to pray. It says in Matthew 7.11, first of all, Matthew 7.7 7 says, it says, ask, seek, knock. In the original language, it is keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Well, you say to yourself, well now, if, if, if God knows all the answers... And, and he knows all the situations. Why in the world would I pray? Because he told us to. Because he doesn't, he doesn't need our information, but he wants our relationship. And he wants us to come close to him. And he wants us to work with us in these situations. And he wants us to see how good he is and how graceful he is and how, how he, he, he wants to give good gifts to his children. And so he does it by telling us to pray. It's very important, A, not to think we've got a better answer than God. As a matter of fact, I read an uh, a, uh, um, article in a scientific journal this week that talked about a certain man who had gone into a hospital at or Orléans, France, and, and, and he had a hematoma on, his, on the left hemisphere of his brain, which is, the, which is the, the area of analysis. And someone sat down with him and began asking him questions um, he was still functional. He could still could answer. But he was asking him mathematical questions. And he sat down and he said, how much is two and two? And uh, the guy said, mm, three. Now, the person who was asking that question got very excited. Thought, this is great. Now, if somebody had come up with that answer with us, we'd have thought, well, that was wrong. Why is he so excited? Well, you keep on reading the article, and it says this. The man had lost his ability to calculate, 
but not his ability to approximate. The exciting thing was he said three and not 49 or not 110. The exciting thing was he came close. When asking uh, how many would 14, would, would 14 uh, children, would that be better in a family or a school? And the, and the man said, well, I think it's probably a little bit too much for a family, but it's not, doesn't seem to be enough for a school. Very excited. How many days in a year? I don't know, 300, maybe 350. Very excited. Now, what happens here is he had lost his ability at correctness, but not the concept. I think original sin has the same effect on us. I think original sin disallows that we will always know the accurate answer, but allows us to keep the concept so that the accurate answer is always up to God. Now, here's what you can do. You can always pray your hopeful solution. Don't ever be ashamed to do that. Say, God, this may not be your solution, but this would be my solution. Let's talk about healing just for a moment, okay? Because a lot of people are, are, are very interested in healing. As a matter of fact, one of the most often questions, when, you, when people see me on the street and they say, hey, I go to your church. And I say, great. And they say, I got a question for you. This is the most often asked question to me. What do you think of Benny Hinn? That's the most often. That's, well, let me tell you. You think it really healed? Yeah. Let me tell you. Do I think healing happens in Benny Hinn crusades? Absolutely, I do. Do I think people get saved at a Benny Hinn crusade? Absolutely, I do. Do I think Benny Hinn has anything that any other Christian doesn't have? No. All of you have that same ability, have that same audience. It's only happening there because he's asking. And he's asking more often. You know, in the Bible, gifts of healing. It's not the gift of healing. The Greek is plural. It's gifts of healing, which means that every particular instance of healing is a separate gift of God's grace. And so, therefore, there's not one person who has the gift of healing. It's whoever asks, God will bestow and will answer. It's not even the amount of faith. The Bible says if you have as much faith as a grain of mustard, you can move a mountain. It's not the amount of faith. It's not the person. It's not the particular giftedness. It's the request. We've got to realize that the Bible doesn't have one kind of healing. It's got five kinds of healing. We've got to realize that, uh, you know, I always, I always pray for instantaneous physical healing. I figure, what's it going to hurt? You know, let's just, let's, let's do the simplest Occam's razor. You know, I'll go for the simplest. God, I want it healed right now. I'm watching. I always do that. Doesn't hurt to ask, uh, ask our dad. Doesn't hurt. Um, um, and, and, I've, and we've seen that happen. Our middle son, um, used to have asthma real bad. And he'd wake up in the middle of the night and he just couldn't breathe. I mean, he'd be turning blue. And Becky and I would always lay our hands. And just pray for immediate physical healing. There were nights when, boom, his air passages immediately opened up, went straight back to sleep, didn't have a problem. There were times when we had to take him into the bathroom and do the steam thing. And there were times when we had to take him to the hospital. Same prayer, three different types of healing. He was always healed physically, never died, 
Although that is another type of healing, a healing and a resurrection. But he was always healed. What was the difference? We had no idea. But we always prayed the same thing and always looked for the same result. But God healed him every time. So you got to realize there's different kinds of healing. There's medical intervention that's healing. There's healing in your attitude instead of in your body. Remember Paul said, oh, take this thorn away from me. But God didn't take it away. What did he do? He healed his attitude instead. Paul had this attitude problem. And so finally, uh, Paul could say, your grace is sufficient. That's what, that's what I need. I just need your grace. And so God healed his attitude instead of his body. But here's the point. The point is that God wants us to ask and then wants us to watch how he works. You know, in, in Ezekiel chapter 36, God talks about restoring the desolation. Restoring the desolation. But in verse 37, it says this, Thus says the Lord God, this also, I will let the house of Israel ask me to do it for them. You understand, don't you, that you can't out-argue God. You can't argue God into a different answer than He has because He's always got the best answer. But the timing is up to us many times. God prompts us to pray. And whenever He prompts us to pray, God wants us to pray so that we can watch for the display of His goodness. And God's timing and our awareness is very much affected by our prayers. Does your prayer change the destiny of the world? No. Does it change the situation of the world? Yes. Yes. That's why God wants us to pray. That's why God wants us to show us His goodness as a result of our prayers. So, two things. Keep it simple. And watch after you get done. Pray with me now. God, thank You. Thank You that we don't have to be theologians to pray. All we have to know is that we have a Father who loves us and through Jesus Christ has said that if we pray in Him, that You will answer. Father, we ask You to give us the willingness to pray. Teach us to pray. Not what to say, but teach us, Lord God, just to pray as simply as comes to our mind. Teach us that praying without ceasing is not referring to the number of words, but to the occasions when we will lift up to You a simple, heartfelt request and then trust in You and watch You for the result. Lord, thank You for this instruction from Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen.